0: Uh, we are in Acts chapter 17. That's where we've been. Uh, Paul was in Thessalonica a little while back. We talked about that. We discussed the presentation of the gospel and how uh, Paul presented the gospel to the people at Thessalonica. Then Paul went to Berea, and we talked about the reception of the gospel, how they received hearing the gospel, and, and how Paul talked about the, the Bereans were um, more noble than those in Thessalonica because they. They heard what was said, but then they they checked to see, is this accurate? Is it true? Last week, Pastor John started us off in Athens. And Athens is a very different place, and he discussed this idea of a world view. Here are the scriptures that uh, he was looking at. Now, while Paul was waiting for them, he's talking about uh, Timothy and Silas, waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. As he saw the city was full of idols, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So Paul is stirred by what he sees. And one of my favorite quotes from last week that uh, Pastor John shared had to do with sweetness and thunder. That word provoked, that there's this, uh, this thunder to it, but there's also the sweet, sweetness to it that he was provoked. So when he sees these things, it's not just provoked to anger, but there's this moving within him to share the gospel in this city. So Paul is doing some of his similar tactics, going to the Jewish synagogue, uh, but he's also doing something that seems a little bit new. He's going to the marketplace. He's observing all these things going on. And so we're going to take a look at this, but before we do, I want to say one more thing. When you look at the book of Acts, this speech that we're getting ready to look at, this is the last open public speech that Paul gives in the book of Acts. So the speeches that are recorded that Paul, or that, I'm sorry, that Luke has written down for us, this is the last open public speech. Now there's some times where he talks to a group of elders. This is the last one where it's like in an evangelistic sharing the gospel sort of way. There's some times where he talks to he talks to King Agrippa later. He tries to persuade him, but this, this is it. This is the last time. And in fact, when you look at the book as a whole you look at how Luke has written it, and you can see that Luke has been building up to this point. So this is kind of like the pinnacle of Paul's reaching to the Gentiles of the world. And so I think for you and me, this is an obviously very important speech that we're going to look at that Paul gives. I think the thought here continues on with this idea of the, the, uh, what I said, the, the, um, the presentation of the gospel. I don't know if you remember, but a few weeks ago when I first introduced that, there was this idea of finding some common ground. Does anybody remember that that was here that week, finding some common ground? A couple of you, good. Not as many as I hoped. That's sad. I'm kind of nervous now. Uh, But there's finding some common ground, and I think we're going to see that going on with this passage. And because of what Pastor John shared last week, the worldviews are so different that to find some common ground is going to be a challenge. Now, I don't want to give my applications away at the beginning. But another reason why this is important is because precisely what we see Paul dealing with, I think many of us are coping with as Christians in this world. Okay? Maybe back in the 1950s or 1960s, there was a common worldview. And so you could go to many people and say, uh, you need Jesus and you could open up your Bible and show them why. And there was kind of a common, yeah, okay, I, you know, even if they didn't go to church, there was still some measure of respect for the Bible. Let me ask you, is that still the case today? No. So, so what Paul does here is important for us because we can see from his pattern, well, how did he deal with trying to present the gospel to people that didn't know anything about the Bible and frankly didn't care what the Bible had to say? How do you do that? So we're going to dig into this, and so we're going to get to verse 18, and Pastor John mentioned this one last week, he started to get into this, but this is going to be our tie-in from this this worldview to, to tying it into how does Paul deal with and talk with these people. So we see in verse 18, it says, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, I feel like I have to say it like that, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. I feel like all philosophers probably talk like this, don't you think so? In my head, that's how they all talk. And some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Another said, He seems to be preaching, a, uh, to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he's preaching Jesus in the resurrection. So let's talk about these guys for just a minute. Okay, Epicurean, based on this philosopher named Epicurus, uh, very materialistic. Even for him, the gods, so they're living in this world where there's all these gods, right? Zeus and all these other gods. For the Epicureans, they, they, they were trying to really get down to a theory of everything. And so they believed that even the, the gods were made out of some similar stuff. And I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. Now, the Stoics, the, Stoics, the closest thing we can think of with the Stoic... <laughs> this is going to sound weird. Uh, the closest thing we can think of that, that we see today, there are some actual religions that are like this. They're pantheistic. But if you want to get a good example, just think of Jedis in the Star Wars, Okay. There's a force, and it's in all of us. That's what the Stoics, believed. God wasn't a person, God was a force. There's something in all of us. And the Stoics wanted to, their goal was to live in accord with the rational principle that indwell all things. They wanted to get as lined up as they could with the force, right? That's what the Stoics believed. And so here you have these kinds of guys, they're the ones that Paul has, is conversing with. They're not going to hear scriptures and go, okay, well, if the scripture says that, it must be true. That, that's not what's going on. They have their completely different view of everything. But the specifics are only slightly important to understanding what happens next because this is going to be a clash of these worldviews and how is Paul going to handle this? Notice you can see a little bit of this spelled out with what they call him. Uh, what does this babbler wish to say? Uh, the, the word that's translated babbler here literally means seed seed. Picker. It was a derogatory term and it was referencing, like, you know how a bird might fly in, grab a seed, and fly out real quick. You ever seen that bird as either pop in and they're kind of nervous, they grab something and leave? So philosophers would use this word, seed picker, which is translated babbler, to refer to somebody who had little tidbits of truth, right, but they didn't have a full picture. And so as they're listening to Paul, that's what they think he is. They're like, he's got some interesting little thoughts here, but this isn't played out as a big picture philosophy like our philosophies are. And so they're listening to Paul talk about these things. They're going, "Uh, what does the seed picker have to say to us? And so some of them wanted to hear a little bit more. And they took him. Okay, Now I'm going to go to the scripture in just a second, but I think I have a couple pictures up next. It's going to mention a place called the Areopagus. Okay, This is in Athens. Um, this is it right here. Do you see this hill? Uh, if I had my laser pointer here, does this thing work still? Let's see if this thing will point. Oh, there we go. See the, see the stairway right there? See a little bit of it coming up this way? So this is this hill in Athens called the Areopagus. Let me give you another picture of it. This is the stair, staircase leading up to it. So when it talks about Paul, this is where they're going to take him. So if you like the mental images This is where they're headed. Okay, We know where this place is. Okay, So listen to what happens. And they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? I feel like I have to do the philosopher voice. Are you guys okay with that? I can't help myself. May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. And then, Luke includes, now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So they, they just love this stuff. Oh, there's something new. This is different. Let's hear it. Come on. You know, all right, Paul, I'd like to hear what you've got to say. So they bring them to their meeting place, the Areopagus, right up on the hill. And I, I imagine them all gathered around like, okay, tell us. You know, there are little tablets out. You know, not these kind of tablets, but like, Maybe they're ready to take some notes on what Paul's saying. So Paul, he's not deterred by this. Standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. I think he's using the sandwich approach. He starts off with something positive. I perceive that in every way you guys are very religious. He doesn't come in and Bash him over the head, and you're like, You guys are a bunch of idiots, philosopher. <laughs> you know, he doesn't do that. What's he do? He comes and he says, I perceive that you, you're very religious. I mean, and, and there's some truth to this because these philosophies are trying to answer some serious, important questions. Where do we come from? Why are we here? What are we supposed to do in life? Paul takes the opportunity, seizes it. He says this, For I pass along. And observe the objects of your worship. He says, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So he's finding something. So, so he latched onto something. There's something that they recognize. There might be something else out there that we don't know. He latches onto it. This is a picture of. Now, this one is not in Athens. They found this one on the Palatine Hill in Rome. And the inscription on this one says, um, "To to the unknown God. So this is not just in Athens that these kinds of things are found. I thought that was interesting. So he says, this unknown God. So he's tying his presentation to something that they acknowledge. Verse 24. The God made the world and everything in it so he takes it up a notch okay not these gods but the the one behind those gods the one even behind that where did they come from little side note um, that we're going to get into as we progress because this this question this is right where Paul's going because even if you answer some questions you have to ask the question where do those things come from and that's really what Paul's doing. Okay, and they've acknowledged that there might, there might be something else because even if they're worshiping all these other gods, where did those gods come from? And then they had theories on where those gods came from, but then you have to, well, where did that come from? And so Paul goes, there's got to be, in fact, Aristotle, a Greek philosopher, he described it this way. He, and, and I picture it always as dominoes. That's not what they had. But if you see something moving, something had to get it started moving. Well, where did that thing come from? Something had to start. And so Aristotle referred to the... There's got to be, if you logically go back, there's got to be something that started it all. And Aristotle called it the unmoved mover. I mean, at some point, there's got to be something that, I mean, if you think about a big long line of dominoes all tipping over and you see the last one tip over, you go, well, something knocked this one over. What knocked it over? Oh, it was this one. And you trace it back. And eventually, I mean, you can't do that forever. Eventually, there's got to be one that got the first one going. And so Aristotle said, he called it the unmoved mover. We call it God. Because... There must be a personality because if if it's not moved by something previous, then in and of itself, it had to make the decision to get things going. And it must not have had a beginning itself. That was Aristotle's philosophy. So Paul, what he's doing here is he's jumping back. They recognize there might be an unknown God. There might be a God behind all the gods, behind all the gods. And, And so that's what he's referring to. And maybe this God... Paul is saying, I want to introduce you to him. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So Paul jumps back to what we all have to ask. Where did it all come from? Connection point number one. Creation and existence. Where did it come from? And how does it maintain? Now some people would say it was a big bang. Bang. It's interesting when you read books that deal with the Big Bang Theory because at some point you'll find it in all of these, the books that are atheistic and they, they're, they're talking about this is where I think this came from, this is where I think this came from. They all have to deal with something because now this is an image and this, you don't have to worry about this making sense. But what this image is representing is that this is meant to represent the universe. And so we have the universe where we're at today, and it all came from this big bang. And so as time is progressing, but every atheist comes to some point and they go, well, where did that come from? Where'd that stuff come from? And even if they come up with an answer, well, where, where did that come from? And they've got some crazy theories out there. I love reading some of these little s- snippets out of some of these atheistic books because one, one guy, and I'm trying to remember what his name was, but uh, he, he said uh, it, he think it all came from gravity. So the stuff came from gravity. Well, where'd the gravity come from? You still have to ask that. Even when we get down to life itself, well, I don't know if you guys know this, but one of the prevailing theories today, this is going to crack you up, one of the prevailing theories today is like when they go, well, where did life come from on this earth? We talk about evolution and all that, but they've started really, man, it's so complex, where did that come from? How did that get started? And there's a prevailing theory. Intelligent scientists will tell you, there are ones out there that go, maybe the, the, the complexity of life was seeded here, like seeds, and maybe it came from, now here's a couple of theories. One, maybe it came from a rock that came from off of another planet that had life. Well, think, everybody that's smart goes, well, where'd that come from? That doesn't really solve the problem, does it? You know what the other one is? Maybe aliens brought it. I'm, I'm being dead serious with you. Actually, this plays out in a, a, more re, a movie a couple of years ago, four or five years ago, it was called Prometheus. And they actually, at the beginning of that movie, Prometheus, they actually went into detail about how these aliens came and they seeded life on earth. And it's so interesting because in that movie, and I'm, I'm going to come back, what I'm doing right now is so important to what Paul's doing. In that movie, uh, the, the character says, I want to go meet our, and she called them the, the aliens, her creator. She goes, because I want to know where they came from. You see the dilemma? That doesn't solve the problem, does it? This is where Paul is at. even go the other direction. You may not realize this, but the Epicureans, in Paul's day, they took their philosophy from the atomic theory of Democritus. Now, you heard me correctly, the atomic theory. You thought the atomic theory was something new, didn't you? You were wrong. The atomic theory dates back, way, way back. Now, they obviously didn't have all the technology to try to experience it, but that's, the word atom came from this Greek philosophy right here. You know what they were saying? They were going, well, all this stuff must be made out of s- smaller stuff. And they go, well, we're, you know, and this blows scientists away because they, they go, I mean, these, these electrons are spinning around this central, part, and they, they go, what's holding it together? They don't know. And then when they start looking at the ad, they go, well, it must be made out of stuff. But then what are you going to ask? Well, what's that stuff made out of? And they've asked that question. Well, what's that stuff? I and mean, they can never figure it out because it's so tiny now they can't actually look at it. But this is exactly what Paul is addressing. He's talking to these philosophers and he's saying this. Let me go back to that passage. The God who made the world. You have to acknowledge this reality. And he knew that they did. This God is the one who, he's the unmoved mover. The one who made everything and holds everything together. And he goes on from here. So here we had our first connection point. The next verse here he says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted, now this, this is fascinating, listen to what he says, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place. I mean, as humans, we we got some limits to what we can do. I mean, now we're traveling to space, but even then, we got to be in a spacesuit. We can't just go out there. You know, we're gonna freeze or implode. We don't even know what's gonna happen. All right? That they should seek God and perhaps feel their this is perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Connection point number two: humanity, yours and mine. We're all in this together. The. The idol to the unknown God is so similar to what I would say is so, so very true today. Uh, Everybody I, I believe, even if they deny it, everybody I meet, down in the depths of their being, they want to know God. Why do we have all these religions on this earth? People want to know God, perhaps, maybe, feel their way him. Even some of the the sternest atheists in the world, there's stories of them at the moment of death. God, help me. Where does that come from? This is a good hook for us to know as Christians. I'm telling you right now, you can know, no matter how much somebody tries to deny it know in your heart that in the depths of them somewhere, it might be buried under rubble and debris and everything else, but somewhere in the depths they know there's a God. These philosophers, when they tried to change the way God looks, really are doing the same thing. The Epicureans saying everything's made out of stuff and this stuff is made out of other stuff and there's some tiny stuff that everything's made out of. We're going to call them atoms back in that day. You know what they're doing? They're ultimately just trying to get to an answer to why we're here. But it left them empty, and Paul knew it. Because what's behind the atom, basically, Paul, Paul is bringing up to these Epicureans, where'd the atoms come from? How would Democritus answer that one in his atomic theory? We still haven't come to the answer other than what God has revealed to us. It's him. He spoke. And all things came into existence. He's the unmoved mover. He even to this day holds all things together. In the book of Job, Job writes and he says, if, if God were to remove his thought of you, you would altogether cease immediately. Why are your atoms right now not spinning off into oblivion? Right now, why are they not? I believe it's God. He's holding you together. It's a different light on things, doesn't it? Humanity, yours and mine. Now, I love what Paul does next. He did something similar to what I did with that story of Prometheus, right? And that that referencing a movie. Listen to what Paul does next he quotes two Greek poems. That's weird. Normally, what would Paul be quoting right now? Jesus, the Bible, Old Testament. He doesn't do it. Quote something current. Interesting. And what he connects it to is this, this same idea. So he says, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So you, you people that are trying to call it, feel your way towards God, it, like, you know that somewhere deep in your being, it's like we want to know who God, who is God? What's he want from me? And what's he say? He quotes one of, one of their poets. He says, in him we live and move and have our being. And so what he's doing, he's saying, you, you, you acknowledge this. this is true. And he quotes something from their world. <laughs> then he quotes this other one. Even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. We've all come from him, this God. It reminded me as I was looking through that how often and it, it's, it's truly astounding if you listen to the radio. And I know most of you, like, or a lot of you, like, I got to listen to my Christian radio. But, but if, you, if you turn the station, you like some of this, you will find, you will find buried in so much of what people are singing and saying, this desperation for God. If you listen for it, I want to give you one example. You guys know who John Mayer is? Some of you? He's got a song called New Deep. Right in the middle of this song where he's talking about, I'm doing my own thing, living my own way. Right in the middle of the song, he says this. "I'm Just, just right out of the song. Is there a God? Why is he waiting? Don't you think of it odd when he knows my address. What's he saying when he says those things? Is there God? What, why? What? I mean, he knows where I live. How come he's not you know, interacting? Send me something. I'm telling you, people... No, in the depths of their being, where's God at? Where's He at? And if you listen for it, you will hear people say these things. Paul continues, being then God's offspring... We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. Now he's dealing directly with how they've tried to define where we all come from, where did all and so they made some statues to try to help them think about all these things, these all these gods. Point number three, connection. God is not our creation, we are his. This is so essential as we're bring, trying to bring people to the gospel, this, this message of the gospel, as we're, we're trying to lead them along. This is so, so very important because what people must recognize at the end of the day is that God doesn't exist for your pleasure, you exist for His. And the truth of the matter is, most of us go through life thinking that God exists. For our pleasure. Most people, as they're trying to feel their way towards God, they're hoping at the end of their trying to find God, they could just figure it out. Maybe it's a combination of things I need to do. Or or I always use the example of the genie and the lamp. If I could just rub the lamp and the genie pop out. Most people, what, what we want from God is that He would get on our page and do what we want. And we say, God, how come you're not orchestrating my life the way I think it should go? And the core problem is that. We have forgotten as humanity, we've forgotten that we are his creation. He's not ours. We didn't come up with him. He created us for his pleasure. He does not exist for ours. So, so essential. I'm reminded of this particular truth all the time as I, I'm, I'm, I attempt to help and and guide and talk to people about Christ and everything else, because so many come to Christ because there's something they want. My life isn't going the way I thought. I want and I they, they've acknowledged enough to say I, I acknowledge that God can do all things. So if I could just now I don't have the power, but if I could just get him on my page. Smooth sailing. And sometimes we talk to people about Jesus and the gospel, and we, we start bringing these things in, but there's a, there's a problem that's happened before that, and this is why Paul needs to go back. You exist for God's pleasure. The fact that you're sitting here and your atoms, your molecules, haven't blown apart into nothingness is just at God's pleasure. The moment he doesn't want you to, you, you to exist, you'll stop existing. So, so important. The reference has to be right to appreciate the gospel message. So what if Jesus died on the cross for my sins? Who cares? If you understand who God is, you go, wait, he died on the cross for my sins? To restore something with me? So I'm not feeling my way towards him to try to figure him out. He actually came here and became one of us and lived and then died and took the penalty for how we've messed it up. He did that. Yeah. That is good news. Paul continues. Now this particular verse I'm going to come back to next week. This is a verse I've referenced many times in the past. I'll have to, I want to dig into this, but notice what he says here as he wraps up his little speech. He says, The times of ignorance, ignorance not being stupidity or you're a bunch of dummies, right? Ignorance being lack of knowledge. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, that being Jesus. And this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead point number four there's a day now I put it this way because so often in scriptures that's exactly how it refers to it the great day of the Lord so there's a day coming God always calls it a day there's a day set in the future I don't know when it is I don't know how far away it is could be today could be tomorrow could be a hundred years from now I don't know There's a day coming where God, who created all things, put them into existence, gave mankind the ability to decide to acknowledge Him as Creator or reject Him as Creator. They rejected, deserving Him to wipe them out. He doesn't do that. What does He do? He comes along halfway through history to represent all of mankind. He sends Christ, His only Son, God in the flesh, to die on the cross. Take the penalty of how they've rejected their creator. So justice can be served, but the justice is served on his own son. Jesus then is raised from the dead and says, now I'm going to make a transaction. I'm going to take my righteous life because I came to this messed up world. I live righteously. I'm going to take my righteousness and I'm going to give it to you. You take your guilt and give it to me. There's an exchange that happens and God, Christ takes it on himself. And then there's some legal transactions that happen where God says to those who say, we've obviously messed up, but I'm going to trust this Jesus. Hey, He really did take care of it. And they put all of their faith, all of their hope in Him, which includes, when you start to put your faith and your hope in Christ, it includes resetting things back and saying, I'm going to now, from this point forward, acknowledge that He's Creator and I'm created. If you don't get to that point, I don't think you have any clue what Jesus is doing, which means you couldn't possibly have faith in him, which is represented over and over again as Paul and, and James and John, all these people begin to preach about this Jesus. One of the things they come back to again and again and again and again, faith, if you got to say you got faith, but you don't have works, it's dead. It's not real faith. Why? Because if you get it, then suddenly you also get he's creator. I'm the created thing. I, I owe all of my allegiance to him. And if you understand, if you genuinely have faith, that's how you live your life. But then there's a day coming. Once again, I don't know. Sometimes I hope it's today. This world's messed up. Is it not? I know one of the things that happens on the day is he, it's all reset. He wipes away all of this and it's new. I look forward to day, day because, because I'm, I'm convinced. Now, I'm, I'm putting all my eggs in this basket, okay? So I'm just t- going to tell you, this is, how, this is how I'm living my life. I put all my eggs. My hope that I'm going to make it past that day into the new stuff is Jesus. That's my own. That's, I'm banking everything on that. I'm not banking it on the fact that I'm a pastor. I'm not banking it on the fact that I'm trying to be a good person. I don't do that very well all the time. I'm not banking on anything that I'm doing. I'm banking it all on Jesus. And so I'm living the rest of this life, the time that we have, until this great and awful day of the Lord, where I'm hoping, I'm trusting that I'm going to make it to that next step, to what's new, and I'm looking forward to that. But sometimes I think, God, wait a little bit longer. The Bible even tells us that this is one of the reasons why God waits, to give everybody an opportunity. This world is full of people that are over here, that are still saying, I don't care if you created me. I don't care if you're holding me together. I don't care. I don't care what you tell me to do. if If I like it, I'll do it, God. If I don't like it, forget it. I don't have to obey you. I don't have to do what you say. And so I say, God, wait, give them more time. Bring some things in their life to open their eyes so that they might go, you are God. And they might put their faith in Christ as their hope. Because that day is coming. And as much as I look forward to what's past that, it's, it's heartbreaking when you think of those around you. Think of your friends at work. Think of relatives that you have. People that are still rejecting Jesus. Now, many of them go, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Ask yourself: Have they acknowledged that Christ is Creator? Have they put themselves in submission to Him to do what He says? No. Well, then, God. I'll quote John in First John. He says, "Man says he uh, knows God, but does not do what God commands. He's a liar, and the truth is not in him." So we, out of great concern, we say, "God, a little more time. A little more time." Ultimately, I don't share the gospel with you and I don't talk about Jesus and I don't do all these things that I do as a, and we, we as a church don't do all the things that we do simply for this life. I think there's hope in this life. I think the best life you can live is the life that God has for you. But that's, I'm just telling you right now, that's not primarily my, my number one concern. Paul the Apostle and talking about this exact thing uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is talking about hope in this life compared to what's afterwards. And he said, if, Christ, if, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, if being a Christian is just about getting everything sorted out here, Paul says, if, if that's what it's all about, we, we of all people are, are most to be pitied. You know why he said that? Did life go perfectly smooth for Paul? I mean, there's times where he was beaten almost to death. He was taken out of a city. People threw rocks, stoned him, right? Thought he was dead. People persecuted him. People gave him a hard time. People chased him out of their city. Did his life get better when he became a Christian? No. So why did he say this? For all of us. If, if you think, if the hope is just for this life only, man, then people have a right to look at us and go, you poor, poor Christian, look at all you're missing out on. You're doing all these things that God tells you, you're just missing out. We ought to be pitied if there's no hope. If there isn't that day and there isn't something past it and we're only doing this for what we get here, then people should be patting us on the head saying, you dummy. There's some fun stuff you could be experiencing while you're here. And you're missing out. Because you're just trying to acknowledge God as creator. And, you're just the, and you just have to do what he said. But see, what do we have? Is our hope for this life only? No. This is why people who have gotten this in their head and they understand it, you look at them and, and everything goes wrong and there, there's death that surrounds them and there's, there's tragedy and there's, there's all these things that are happening to, to Christians all across the globe. Even today, there's, there's torment and there's torture. Christians today are being tormented for their faith. And yet, many of them say, am I going to deny Christ? No. And s- many often talk about the joy that they have. Where does that come from? Their hope isn't just for this life. Their hope is not just for this life. Paul ends by saying this, or Luke actually is talking now. He says, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. We get this. You start talking to people about origins and where things have come from and atoms and the Big Bang Theory and you start trying to explain God a little bit. Kind of be with you, but then when you get to Jesus and you say He lived and He died and He rose back from the dead, you might experience what Paul experienced here. They mocked him, but there were others said we will hear you about we will hear you again about this. The interest was piqued. Paul found a little bit of common ground. The Spirit of God began to work in some of these hearts. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined there we go so Paul went out from their midst the some men joined him and believed this ties back to what we said that first time we talked about the presentation of the gospel don't forget the goal some believe and join up sometimes when you're talking to somebody about these things that have to do with God and the gospel there's some there's some there's a lot that mock but there's some that go I'm in I'm in among whom were Dionysus. Don't know who who he is, but he's the uh, Areopagite from the Areopagus, right? I'm guessing he might have been a philosopher. And a woman named Damaris and others with them. So many join and believe. Think back through these things. I know not all of you have pens or pencils with you right now, but I know some of you are taking notes. I would like to encourage you as we, we wrap up as we look at these things, to consider, I'm going to call them talking points. Now, this can be extremely helpful if you know somebody in your life that you go, I, I, I've had trouble talking to them about Christ, because like, if I bring up the Bible, they're like, I'm out. But, but notice what Paul did. Paul didn't use that. What did he do? He went back to some, some ideas. And he latched onto what he knew is true about all humanity. We're all made by God, whether people admit it or not. And God has placed in all of us this desire to feel our way towards Him. And Paul uses that as his latch. So I want you to think about maybe a, a specific person. Maybe you can just think about someone in general. I want you to consider what would be a conversation starter... How could you get that conversation going? I'm going to give you a minute to think. What would be a conversation starter that you could say, okay, this is the thing. I got this person. Uh, for many of the, my coworkers, one of the, my conversation starters uh, just deals with kids. And I start conversations off by saying, you know, I always wonder you know, I see some of these kids in such desperate need at DHS and I always think, man, I wonder if there's more that I could do. And usually if it's another teacher, that gets the conversation going, well, yeah, yeah, I know, there's, what more could we do? What, what more is there beyond just this? And then, and then a lot of times I steer it towards, you know, one of the interesting things that a lot of these kids struggle with, it, it's less about how the teacher's teaching and how this is going or whether or not they, th- this is happening for many of them, there's something deeper just inside of that child that's, that's lacking or missing. And it's amazing because I bring that up and most of the teachers are like, I know, I know. Even if they don't know anything about God or believe in God, there's still this acknowledgement. And then I, I start praying at that point because I'm like, I don't know what to say next, but then I'm, I'm going, okay, God, we've got a little bit of a common ground. Where can I go from here? A lot of times it doesn't go very far past that. Once they find out that I'm a pastor, sometimes that just kind of, hmm, okay, I know where he's going with this. He's going to talk about Jesus. But there's some, that go, I'd like to hear some more. Just like what happened with Paul. Just like what happened with Paul. I'd like to hear tell me some more about this. You've piqued my interest. So I want you to think about this and I want you to think about it in terms of this week because I'm going to close in prayer and I'm going to pray that God will bring somebody into your life that the common ground is thin. I'm going to pray that God will give you the wisdom to know how can I grab that common ground to begin sharing the gospel with them. It might take a while. Paul didn't get to Jesus. He didn't mention his name at this point. He didn't talk about the cross. He just said there's a day coming. He says, we're all created and we exist by this God. We're all in this together as part of humanity. This God is not our creation. We are His. And there's a day coming when whether or not we understand this is really, really important. The final thing I say before I pray is this. If you're sitting here today, this isn't in my notes. If you're sitting here today, and the reality is, you know. Maybe you've come to God because you're just going, man, I thought if I'd do this, this church thing, I could add it to my checklist, read my Bible and do this and do this, that God would finally stop picking on me. I want to encourage you. He's the creator. You're the created. There's a lot of things I don't know he might be trying to work out with you, but one thing for sure, he wants you to understand who He is and who you are. If you're here today, maybe that's the first time it really dawned on you. Know this. God has paved a way for you to get right with Him and it has nothing to do with how well you've done life in the past or how well you're going to do it in the future. It's based entirely on His effort and His will and His purposes to send Christ to take care of the whole thing. So what God is calling you to do is put your faith, put your trust in Christ. How you'll know you've done that? Because suddenly you'll start going, he's God, I'm not. God, you can, you can tell me whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And then when it gets real tough is you start going, God, you can throw anything my way, I won't be leaving you whatever you throw my way. I'm all in. And my faith is in you. Because that day is coming. And what I really look forward to is not just the hope in this life, but the new that comes after. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just... Lord, I want to ask now that everyone in this room would come to a place, whether they're there yet or not, would come to a place where they acknowledge you as their creator and that they are simply the created. I pray, Lord, that they would move from that to acknowledging the grace that you have shown towards your created things by sending your own Son, Jesus Christ, to take the penalty for our rejection of you as our creator. That the people would move towards that in this room, maybe even right now. I pray that that moment of truth would happen and their eyes would be open and they'd say, Yes, Lord, I believe. I pray that that faith, though small, would begin to flow out, to change each and every one of us from the inside out so that we have evidence that that faith is real. So that as that day approaches, we will think with confidence of that day. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are dismissed.